The conventional wisdom on what it's going to take to get crime under control in Minneapolis and St. Paul and all around the country is wrong. I've been wrong. At least according to the data. I want to know what you think about it. It's Jason. Welcome to Drive Time with DeRussia. It is Wednesday, January 17th. And when we talk about crime, when we talk about feeling safer in our community, it's hard not to notice the fact that we are way down in the number of police officers in the city of Minneapolis. In 2019, before the pandemic, we had nearly 900 active officers on duty. Today, we have 565. 565. Sounds awful. I had been convinced that we got to get that number back up to 750 or 800 to really make a difference in crime. And then we see the evidence that we really have no clue what exactly causes an increase or a decrease in crime. I'll explain more in a minute, but my thesis is this. I don't know that we need any more officers than we have today. Maybe we need 45 more to try to make the lives of these officers less miserable, right? They're burning the candle at both ends. But when it comes to safety... Maybe we don't need 700, 800, 900 officers. 651-461-9226. Welcome your calls, your texts. Maybe you disagree with me that we do need more officers, but here's why I make this case. And don't get me wrong. Violent crime in our community is above what it was in 2018, 2019. So crime is not low. And crime is way lower than what it was in 2022 and in 2021. And and the latest research on this indicates that the number of police officers, the number of police officers uh, doesn't really make a direct line with safety. Now, I would speculate, and we don't know and we don't want to know, right? I would speculate that there is a a bottom level where you have not enough officers and it sort of sends the message that anybody can get away with anything because there's they're not going to get caught. But I think we talk about crime in the wrong way. We talk about crime And we talk about the solution to crime as being police officers. But in a way, that's like saying the solution to heart attacks or diabetes is ambulances. It doesn't check out. It doesn't check out. And until we accept that, we're never going to get anywhere in the debate on safety and crime in our community. 651-461-9226. Star Tribune reporting on some of this new research. And the research indicates that there's a very weak correlation between homicides, between number of police, between adding more officers and having more safety. The undeniable truth 
is that we have way fewer officers than we had. Well, we have fewer officers than we had last year, fewer officers than we had in 2021. And yet the crime rate has gone down. Let's talk to Neil in St. Paul. 651-461-9226. Neil, thanks for calling. What do you, what, you know, I find this uh, sort of difficult to digest because it always feels like, well, you know, you need more officers. It, not only do they respond to crime, but uh, that response provides a deterrent for others. But it doesn't seem, at least in violent crime, that that's necessarily true. Well, I think the the major, the big crimes, the violence, the felonies, the the murders, the uh, those I think are those are going to happen. But without, you know, if you have a police presence around the streets, what I see now, there's far, far, far fewer cops you'd ever see people pulled over for speeding. Mm. I mean, in St. Paul, it's Wiper Avenue, it's like Raceway. I mean, yeah, nobody, that's listens, true. nobody, nobody abides by that. And I think it's the smaller crimes they get away with, like the shoplifting. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can't call a cop on that. They're not prosecuting these misdemeanors. It's such a good and point. Then, You're you know, 100% right, Neil. I totally yeah. agree with you. Well, and it's like these burglaries, they don't have time to get there because the yeah. cops, they, they take the numbers in priority. And, and I think to say that the crime rate's down and we don't need police officers, I think that's way, way, way out of line. We need We need as many cops as we can get. Because if you're a criminal, you don't want the cops anyways. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a good citizen, you yeah. want cops. You know, and let's be honest, they're not, they're not prosecuting, they're not coming into the misdemeanors. These people are just going to continue. The bad apples are going yeah. to continue to be, be worse, get worse. Neil, do you think, like, you're, the, the way you communicated this, man, wouldn't it be nice if we heard political leaders talking about it this way? Because I think we see... Police taking credit when the homicide rate goes down. We see politicians blaming other politicians when, like, the homicide rate or the assault rate, you know, the violent crime rate goes up. But what you're talking about is really the stuff that makes a community livable or not. It's it, it's the type of crime that doesn't get in the paper every day or doesn't make the local news because it would well, be absurd, right? You're not going to do a story on every robbery or every... Even car theft. I mean, car theft has become right. an issue because there's been uh, such violence attached to it. But uh, I think your point is exactly right. But you're talking about this in such a different way from how politicians or anybody else usually talks about it. Well, the Minneapolis City Council can't even make up their mind that they need more police. But then they'll say it's crime rates. We want to work on crime, but we don't want to hire police. You know, well, which is it? You know, just because their life ain't, their door ain't getting kicked in or their, their mother ain't getting carjacked, it's the, the crimes that are not getting reported. Yeah. You need more police. The, 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 even like you said, the smaller crimes lead to bigger crimes, and, and they're just not pulling people over for the stuff they used to, and now people know they can get away with it. Really good call. You know? Appreciate it, Neil. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks right, for calling it. Good day. Call anytime. There goes Neil at 651-461-9226. Police staffing and violent crime, the research doesn't really show much of a correlation. Minneapolis police has among the lowest ratio of officers to residents in the nation. Now, there are problems with this. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, we don't need any more police officers. I think 
The issue for sure for officers is all this overtime, all this extra time they're working. Basically, officers are going from 911 call to 911 call. So there's no like community building, neighborhood work, all of that. Like for sure, that is part of it. But generally speaking, when we talk about crime, we're talking about violent crime. And I maintain that that violent crime is impacted by so many things that the number of police officers on the list is pretty dang low. I really believe that. 651-461-9226. James in Roseville, you're on the talk and text line. Thanks for calling in, James. What do you have to say? Jason, thanks so much for taking my call. I'm really glad that you brought up just the point about political leadership. And uh, with that, I'll say that that's really tragically not in place. And here's why. Uh, Look, look at the example of City of Minneapolis administrative office and the mayor's office three years ago, making a public statement saying, oh, hey, by the way, great news. Those of you who commit small, minor, like moving violation, you know, we're not even going to like stop you or pull you over. And that was if they were like really serious that that was not a problem, why would they ever publicly make that statement and grant the green light yeah. to people to make those small moving violations? That was nothing but a like a effort to like gain political favor from the people after George Floyd. There, there is this odd idea that like being pro police uh, is somehow like now. Uh, honestly, I, I think the politicians feel like if you come out in favor of strong policing, of going after lawbreakers, that you're perceived as a racist or, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that is. Post George Floyd, that's that's been a lot of the issue in this community, and I understand the so trauma, the trauma, right? But would, like that, go ahead. Yep. What I'll challenge any politician who would have that disposition would be that that's polite racism, because what you're saying then is that you are presuming that minorities or people mm. of color are those who are committing those moving violations. Do you do you think there's more openness today, James, to this idea that just Having more police, having strong enforcement and strong prosecution is not enough that we need to figure out, you know, some of these more root causes. How do we deal with the especially juvenile crime, I think, is a real concern for me that I don't know how much progress we're really making. And I don't want to lose these 15 year olds for the rest of their life who are, you know, stealing cars and getting involved in gangs right now. Right, right. So it doesn't mean, you know, by especially with juveniles, you do not need to ruin someone's life over an offense. But you need them to understand that they will be stopped, apprehended, arrested and prosecuted. Yeah, really good. James, thank you. Appreciate it. 651-461-9226. The headline, the number of police in Minneapolis dropped significantly and crime is down, too. What do you make of that? 651-461-9226. Drive Time with DeRussia continues in just a minute. Fewer officers in Minneapolis in 2023, and crime is down as well. There's a researcher at the University of Pennsylvania who's been studying what role does police staffing play when it comes to crime. And he looked at all of this data. This is Aaron Chalfin from the University of Pennsylvania. 
And his quote in the Star Tribune is violent crimes rise and fall for many, many reasons. Some of those reasons are well understood. Some are not. My point in raising this is that many of our listeners, many of our politicians speak with 100 percent certitude that they know what the what the answer is to crime. And for many people, the answer is more police slash tougher prosecution. I believe that's part of the solution, part of the solution. But I think the more you see these sorts of trends, the more it should make you open to the fact that we need solutions on many, many fronts. I'm not arguing that we don't need more police, but I am arguing that the urgency to get to 900 from 560 is maybe not as urgent as I would have thought. 651-461-9226. One texter saying juvenile crime up because of kids being out of school during COVID. The reality is a lot of kids had more caring adult interaction at school than they had at home. Gangs stepped in to fill the gap. I blame the thoughtless lockdowns with no thought for support needed for a vulnerable group like kids. I think that... Uh, You know, you can argue about the lockdowns, whether you think they were thoughtless or not. But I do think, and especially as you hear public health officials say that when they were urging lockdowns or uh, making their recommendations at the beginning, they were 100 percent thinking about mitigating the spread of COVID. They were zero percent taking in. Those sorts of other considerations. I think we've seen what happens when it plays out. I do think COVID, as a cause for a hike in crime, to me, I think the lockdowns and the fact that people were uh, maybe not going to work and kids were not going to school and the unrest and the fear over losing your job or your employment – Uh, I think that's the single biggest factor in the rise of crime. I really do. Now, I'm not a criminologist, That's, but that is my gut on what the main issue is. I do think that having police, you know, your 565 officers only responding to 911 call, emergency after emergency, is not good for their mental health. It's not going to be good for results. You know, you, you need some of the community building. You need the cat in the tree call to sort of pace out your existence. So you're not just seeing the worst of the worst over and over. Let's talk to Barbara in Minneapolis. The headline, it'll be in the Star Tribune tomorrow, looking at police staffing levels that continue to drop and crime dropped as well. Barbara, thanks for calling. CCO 651-461-9226. What do you have to say? Well, you know, I have to say, I I think it is disturbing that, uh, you know, the police are looked at just like this stopgap. Now, having said that, you had a year where you had homicides that hadn't been, you know, a number of homicides that hadn't been felt since like the 1990s. And all of those homicides have to be investigated. And you now, I'm told, have six 
officers investigating homicides. Yeah. And there were 70-something yeah. of them last year. So, you know, plus probably a backlog from the year before. Right. Now, the victims of those homicides and those families are left without help. And so I don't ever want to hear again about how Minneapolis has a bad homicide clearance rate. Because if you only have six yeah. officers, <laughs> right. you know, working right. on 76 homicides yeah. from this year alone, uh, forget it. The other thing I have to say, and it's a great point what you were talking about. Just if I could just stop you, if I could stop you right there, Barbara, because your point is really important when we're talking. And this is part of why I raise this is this fixation on numbers. Right. We're fixated on what the crime rate is. Uh, There's also a section of the community that is fixated on the number of active officers. The reality is, as you raise you, you only whether you have five hundred sixty five or six hundred, if you still only have six people investigating homicides, you're not going to clear a lot of them. I mean, that that is just exactly. reality. So I appreciate you raising that. Yeah. Yep. All right. Go ahead. The other thing I want to say, the other thing I want to say is something about what you just said, too, about what are the reasons COVID was ab- absolutely explanation. But for the increase in crime. But having said that, you leave out the fact that they emptied out the jails and the prisons mm. of yeah. anyone yeah. who could who could get out safely, you know, get away from COVID. I understand it, but that puts a whole bunch of people on the street that are problematic. Yeah, that's a good point. Barbara, thank you. That is true. That some of that uh, some of that is is reality. I think if you when you talk to police and even Chief O'Hara would say uh, and I've asked Jacob Fry about this on this show before, like no one really knows what causes crime to go up. And those same external mysterious forces, usually it's just this, it's a bunch of things coming together. The same is true when it goes down. Now, when crime goes up, everybody wants to say, well, it's these other factors. And when crime goes down, they have a news conference and say, what, uh, they're doing a hell of a job. I bring it up because as crime has gone down, I'm not ready to say, well, good job. You deserve the credit. It's a complicated scenario. And it deserves a discussion, honestly, at the level that our callers had today. So I appreciate you guys for bringing the great feedback and good analysis. Good job. You guys get, I'll have a news conference to tell you, good job. 331, we're going to take a break and talk about the housing challenge in this country. We have so many people who are empty nesters who are living in 3,000, 4,000 square foot homes. The reason that boomers aren't moving out of their giant homes, it's pretty interesting. We got a real estate guy who thinks he has a solution, and it may have to do with the layout of smaller homes and apartments. Uh, We'll do that when we come back on Drive Time. Well, I have railed before about how boomers won't get out of their uh, big shot jobs, clearing the way for the fine people of my generation, Gen X, to ascend to those gigs. Now they're not leaving their homes either. I've actually seen this play out. My in-laws live in the same home that they raised their two amazing daughters in Plymouth. Beautiful home. And yet downsizing or rights. It's challenging. 
Because they feel like there's nothing on the market that would work. New report talking about how boomers sort of are clogging up the whole system. When, when the boomers stay in their larger homes and the Gen Xers don't move up, the millennials can't get into the starter homes and Gen Z, good luck. There is a real estate developer who thinks he has part of a solution because we like talking about solutions on this show. And so we bring in Bobby Fion, a partner with Forum Developers. He's on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Uh, Bobby, so good to talk to you. Thanks for being with us. Glad to be here. So Bobby uh, put something out on X, the old Twitter, that caught my attention on this very issue. And that's why I reached out to you, Bobby. But you uh, have a, a belief that part of the issue is just the homes that are available, the floor plans, the apartments, the condos, uh, stink. They're not appealing to those boomers who are in larger homes. Explain what you're what you're thinking about here. Well, I think on one thing, it's just undeniably true um, that they are not built for that demographic. Uh, so I'd say um, apartments are primarily designed for um the target demographic of the millennials, right? Like of the people who are coming up looking to rent for, for a certain period of time. And so you see uh, designs that um, work with that um, age demographic and the things they like walk into any brand new apartment building and you'll see um, highly tricked out amenities with um, uh, really glitzy fun things that are clearly targeted at that you know, um, late twenties, early thirties, mostly single, maybe some young couples, a few young children. But uh, to me, the the clear problem is that, um, and and there's lots of other ones too uh, that have to do with uh, tax code or other incentives. But to me, I think it's just a very clear thing of like there is not product that someone with options, which all empty nesters have, they could choose to stay. Yeah. Um, none of them would want to move into. So I, I don't not, So I'd say, I think the, the problem is that uh, the product is not being built to serve this uh, user's uh, yeah. needs, particularly, yeah. particularly near where they um, near where they live. And so I, I think um, th- th- there's a problem of the product not being right. And there's a problem of it not being located in the right thing. I think it isn't just a matter of like building the right product. I, I mean, um, you mentioned, uh, well, anyway, I'd say all of us, I think, know people who uh, espouse the same thing that uh, you mentioned of like right. they want to move. Yeah. And yet they just can't find anything that they that they like. And and I don't blame them. And I, I don't think we should be in the business of forcing people to move. Um, but uh, there is a, there is, I think, a huge problem of the product not being there. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby Fion is with us. And I'm sure a lot of a lot of our listeners and you can text in at six, five, one, four, six, one, nine, two, two, six. You know, people have a number of reasons why you stay right now. Obviously, realist, you know, most boomers who are empty nesters have already paid for their home. So like ent- entering a new, you know, buying a new place is maybe you know, like, I don't know if I do. I want six percent interest rates. That's maybe an issue. But my wife and I have been looking to sort of our kids are late teens. So we're starting to think about like, all right, let's see what's out there. And the truth is like, if we wanted an apartment with like 
a large living room where you, you know, a large dining room, kitchen dining room, an open middle, you know, that's not a widely available option. Or you have like a really tiny bedroom, tiny guest bedroom. And you're like, well, that's not that. Why would I leave my perfectly fine house to go into this? No, no, it's not. And, and so I'd say the product that I personally focus on developing is actually for kind of like the opposite end of the spectrum. It's for um, millennials who are first starting home. So it's, so it's for um, people who are have kids under the age of five, right? So mm. we're, they're not really making decisions on school yet, but they, they need a little bit more space. Uh, and even there, uh, I'd say the, uh, the product that, that I'm investing in building is uh, markedly different than anything that's out there, I'd say. So the main product that's being built now is designed around singles and roommates. And you can see it um, clear as day just by looking at the floor plans, right? Like you'll see every bedroom is the equal size, right? You'll see bedrooms that are wider than the living room. You'll see kitchens that are deprioritized. Every bedroom is essentially designed to be a private suite. Uh, and it's, you know, lots of different problems for that. It's, it's uh, Developers aren't stupid. They're building that because there was a huge demand for that kind of product as well. But what, what I see, I guess, in, in the thing that I'm believe in and i think someone else needs to do the same thing for uh empty nesters as well is you need to design for a particular dynamic and not Mm. just say oh heck we're building apartments well why aren't these boomers moving into them it's like again have you seen it it just doesn't fit right like it doesn't fit the the in particular i think it's the living rooms right you'll see the most common dimension like living room width is between like 12 and 14 feet wide barely large enough for like I'd say like a large couch. It's a, it's a, a West Elm size, like small, like <laughs> yeah. single three seater couch that fits. And that's it. And that's just not, I think, appealing for anyone to want to move into who's had a house. Right. So I mean, 2000 square feet per person is a lot, but <clears throat> getting down to these, you know, smaller sizes, which I think should be in the best interest of everybody is just not being, um, not being a product that's not being delivered. Yeah, it it is interesting as we look, you know, look forward and look to how do we achieve, you know, all of the kind of urbanists would like more density. And here in the Twin Cities, you know, if if Minneapolis and St. Paul, which are relatively small cities surrounded by tons of suburban people, if you're going to get better transit, less vehicle miles, more amenities in the city, you need more people to live there. And absolutely. If you're not uh, building for the lifestyle that people want, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for people. It, it, it doesn't. And, and I also believe in families, too. Having, right. Like that's your main oh, focus. Absolutely. Apartments for families. But why, why shouldn't a family? You shouldn't have to go to New York City or Miami or Boston to have apartments that make sense for families. No, you no, you shouldn't. And, and I also reject that. I think like buildings need to be more uh, multi generational in general. Like I, mm. I don't, I don't like, I don't like the idea of like fifty five and over apartments. Although that's again, some people want that. That exists, but to me, like neighborhoods and city and real density is about, I think, demographic diversity. Right? I don't, I don't, I wouldn't like. I don't think downtowns are good when it's just young single people. And I think they need somewhere for some people to stay and raise their kids downtown. So they send their kids to schools and do different kinds of things are down there as well. And I think that boomers should live there too, but it shouldn't be, um, this is the neighborhood where boomers live. This is the building where 25 year olds live. This is the building where, you know, um, people with kids under the age of five live. I think it should be, I mean, which, 
a building full of just children under the age of five would be uh, crazy. Um, so uh, that would be unmanageable. Just sounds like a hellscape, anyway. Bobby. I do not like. I yeah, remember when my kids, <laughs> when my kids were that age, I do not want to be in a building with all of that. No, no, but I, I think people are happier being around other other folks. I yes. mean, like I know one of the reasons why my parents would would uh, reject like moving. Um, we reject moving is because like they've invested quite a bit into their community. So they've, they've now gotten to that point where we go back there for holidays and we see them and we're relatively close, but we're there maybe once a quarter, you know, every few months they see us more often. And, you know, so they maintain the house, but if they were to try to move a different product, I think like, it needs to be built near where people live because people have invested not just in their home, right? Whatever the appreciation was, it went from, I don't know, $300,000, $800,000, or maybe more, who knows? But the other thing that people have a tremendous amount invested in is, you know, 20 years of community, right? Like, I mean, like my mom just like wouldn't leave her church, right? And, and I wouldn't want her to. Yeah, it's interesting. So anyway, I think we need to build this product and it needs to be built closer to where people live and it needs to also be built within density i think there, there are some urbanists is maybe the wrong definition but i think there are some people who have tried to espouse like downsizing into smaller homes and while that can work the problem for that is home prices are mainly just based on location and lot size so you can't really save much money by like downsizing into a smaller home um right, on a, right. Unless, unless it's an older one not 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 a certainly not a brand new house it's so interesting. I, I hope it, it gives me a lot to think about. And hopefully, uh, you know, our developers here are thinking about just how that kind of floor plan, how that the layout of these yeah. places is so critical. Uh, Bobby Fion, thank you so much. Appreciate the conversation. Of course. Three, Love talking about it. Very good. 348. We'll be back with a conversation about flashing your membership card on the way into, I know, flashing. Cook was worried we're having a flashing car. We're not doing that. We're talking about flashing the car at Costco. We'll do that conversation next. Yeah, some good texts about our last guest. My wife and I recently retired. Would love to downsize from our Maple Grove home, but to do that here in the Twin Cities doesn't make economical sense. Well, it's an issue. Layout, though, I hadn't considered that just the layout of apartments is not attractive. Uh... In many cases, so kind of interesting stuff. Okay, today I read, you know, we, we talked about Sam's Club yesterday. I promise you we're not becoming like the warehouse club leader, right? I mean, unless they'd like to advertise, and then in this case, <laughs> well, we'll tell you how great they are. <laughs> I'm pro warehouse club. Like, my, I, growing up, my family was a Sam's Club family. The Costco's a little closer to me, so that's where I go now. You, you're we, we you're a single guy. I'm a single guy, so I have no reason to do it. Uh, and growing up, that wasn't our family's jam, so we didn't. I think I've been in a warehouse type thing twice in my whole life. Really? Yeah. I, I'm just, do you want to go shopping? Do you want to go? Not really. I don't. I don't need. Maybe you, know, you need like. I don't need a three gallon tub of barbecue sauce that bad. I got to be honest with you. I'm trying to think what the biggest thing I ever bought. Like I buy like a three uh, three pound bag of frozen fruit. Hey, I mean, you can get two Haggy's pizzas at Costco for like 14 bucks. That's pretty good. Okay. No? Yeah. You're not a Haggy's pizza guy? I've tried it. It's it's fine. It's fine. The dumbest thing is they make you flash your membership card on the way in. You could be holding up a blank index card, I think, and they would be like, yep, have a good time. 
Uh, Costco is going to go to some sort of scanner. There are going to be scanners everywhere. Everywhere. Why do we even need to scan? Who cares? You have to scan to pay. It doesn't make sense.